Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. Today is the 8th, and today is my youngest son's 28th birthday. So this is nice. Let's begin with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, as we continue our walk through your Holy Word in the book of Revelation, we pray today as we consider chapter 11, the wonderful victory that you will show to us at the end of time, that you are the conquering warrior, that you are the King eternal, that you are our Savior. To that end, be with us and bless us now for the sake of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's good to see you back again uh, after a little reprieve uh, during the holidays, and I pray that you had a wonderful, wonderful holiday. And today we are going to pick it up with Revelation chapter 11. But before we start with that, let me just kind of give, uh, since it was like two to three weeks ago since we met, you probably forgot what we were talking about. In chapter 11, we talk about the two witnesses. Well, who are the, the two witnesses? It is the church as well as the believers. And uh, the two witnesses, of course, are killed, and then they are raised again, which demonstrate the victory over death and the grave. And so when we think of these uh, activities, we remember also what it said in John chapter 16, where the Lord said, they will do all of these things, put you in prison, they will kill you, take you out of the synagogue, and by so doing, they are thinking they are doing service to the Lord. And so as we continue with this, we want to see um, the church triumphant. And even though it appears that the church is dying on the outside, don't be fooled because the Lord himself said, heaven and uh, earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And where the word is... Christ is always present. Why? Because He is the Word, right? The Word incarnate. Jesus took on flesh. We just celebrated this. As I was preparing for this, I wanted to share with you the uh, wonderful things that the Lord has given to us. This is from my spiritual father, uh, Dr. Brighton. And uh, just a little background to help us grasp uh, the thought that goes into this wonderful book. And these are the thoughts from his um, conclusion of chapter 11. The interlude of 7, 1 through 17, pictured the church militant. And remember when we talk about the church militant, that's the word military. So... The church militant, meaning on earth, because we are constantly fighting against our three unholy things, right? Satan, sin, and the flesh. And the church triumphant, the church triumphant are those who have already gone ahead of us for the purpose of encouraging the Christians on earth with the promise that God would keep them in faith no matter what they suffered. And it behooves us to remember these facts. God never said suffering will not be part of our lives. Any evangelical preacher who says, as a Christian, you're always going to be blessed, is a liar. 
Because God never promised us a life without suffering. On the contrary, he says what? Take up your cross and follow me. So be prepared to die. Uh, Christians are encouraged to know that despite the persecution of the world, God will protect them in their mission and will provide for them so that they may complete their prophetic ministry. Every single one of us in this room have a specific task and a role in the kingdom of God. Because why? We are his witnesses, right? Mm -hmm. We are his ambassadors. And I will conclude with this thought from Mm -hmm. Father Brighton. Thus, the picture given by the scene of the two witnesses is that the Christian church composed of individual Christians, is always living in witness, dying for that witness, and being raised again for further witness. Okay? Did you grasp that? We will give witness, we will die for that witness, and we will rise again for that witness. Right? And who is the first martyr who was killed for the sake of the kingdom? Stephen, Acts chapter 7, right? Mm -hmm. Even as he was dying, he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. So our role as Christians is to be the ambassadors in the kingdom of God. And so with that in mind, we left in verse um, 14. So let me read that. And now we're going to take a look at the church triumphant and the perspective of the reigning and ruling royal king. The second woe had passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seven angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the throne before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun your reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints." And those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and earthquakes, and heavy hail. What a beautiful, beautiful description. Okay, you've heard me read these. What are your thoughts as we begin to look at the church triumphant with the reigning King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Okay. Um, It's the seventh trumpet, and we talked about that earlier. There are seven angels, 
seven uh, blowing, seven candles, seven um, woes, and seven blessings, and all of these things. So, notice, and it's very important that we do not go over verse 15 without really grasping what it is saying. Okay, then the seven, seventh angel, excuse me, blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord of his Christ. So notice what has transpired. The kingdom of the world has become now whose? The kingdom of Christ, right? So he is now the king eternal, right? We were told uh, during the celebration of Christmas, the new king was born, right? The king of Israel. He is the reigning king. Even Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And what did Jesus say to him? My kingdom is not of this world. But at the end of time, God is going to give the activities that are necessary for us and to grasp it. So... The kingdom now is being ruled and reigned by the authority of Jesus. So this is the end time event. We are looking at what will happen at the end of time. And the voices in heaven are the voices of all of the saints who will worship. Backtrack a little bit to chapter 7. Okay. Beginning with verse 9, but specifically uh, 15 and following. But let's go to chapter 7. And then we want to talk about all of those who are praising God. So after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where they have come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And now the singing begin. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be the shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Okay. These are the throng who are in heaven. And now as we look at it a few chapters later, what do we see? They are praising God. They are singing to the Lord. And remember the day that Jesus was born. There was an angel in the heaven first, right? 
And then what happened after that? What's the scene after that? The whole host of angels. Thank you, Tina. So, take a look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We got to put things in perspective. All right. If you take a look at verses 10 and following, and our focus will be the song, which is in verse 14. Okay? Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, so we have even the angels cannot contain the joy of the story of the incarnate word. And now, this is on earth. In chapter 11, we are looking at it from heaven's perspective. Okay, they are singing to the Lord. And then the reign of God is now the eternal reign. He's not only reigning in the kingdom of God, but he's reigning over the whole universe. The word that is used there, the cosmos. Okay? His reign has begun. Okay? So what we are looking at is the church triumphant. God has come. And when you look at verse 26... And the 24 elders who sit on, on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, And remember, the 24 elders represent all of Christendom for all generations. Okay? So when we think of the elders, the 12 of the Old Testament, the New of the New Testament, but it represents God's people from all generations. And why is this important for us to realize that the Lord's um, reign has begun? Why is that important for us? I need you to think outside the box. Why is that important? Very good. He has come once and for all to destroy all the work of the evil one. Okay? Remember, uh, the devil was loosed and he brought with him suffering, right? Uh, we are told by Paul that the whole world groans. The trees groan. Do you think the trees like to die? Mm -hmm. 
How about the animals being run over? How about us when we hear of someone has cancer or lost their vision or lost their hearing and the persecution and the demonic things that go on in our world? That was for a specific period of time. But now, the reign of Christ has begun. And with him, he brings an end to all suffering. With him, he brings an end to all mourning. No more death. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more cancer. No more diabetes. No more heart attacks. No more strokes. None of those things, because the kingdom has now been given to Jesus Christ as the eternal authority. He reigns with power and with justice over all the universe. Okay? And so we do need to remember these things. I will draw your attention, and I need somebody to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. We talk about that as the state of his exaltation. Okay? I want to put something there and take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Ephesians, Galatians, then... Philippians. Okay? That's the state of exaltation. Would somebody be gracious enough to read that out for us? Read it out. Anybody's willing to do so? No charges today. <coughs> oh, verses 9 through 11. I'm sorry, my bad. I thought I said that earlier. All right, go ahead, Tina. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. Notice the theology right there. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee, should bow where first in heaven right and on earth and under excuse me and under the earth right he is the king supreme right what is one of the titles we give to the lord king of kings and lord of lords right there's no king higher than him and there's no lord higher than him he is the king of kings and Lord of Lords, and every single person will bow the knee before Jesus the Christ. So when you think of that as the reigning king, he has come to rule over everything, and he provides that for us, okay? So, uh, notice how verse 16, and the 24 elders who sit on their throne before God fell on their faces, and worshiped God. Okay? So when we worship, what do we do? We bow down, right? They bow 
down. If you ever travel to Israel and you go to the Church of the Nativity, there's a small, tiny door. You can look it up on Google and you'll see. It's called the humble door. Every person that, who, that enters, whether a believer or an unbeliever, must kind of bow down because it's maybe like three, three and a half feet long. So you have to go in and you bow down as you enter the door. It's called the humble door. It wasn't always that way, but it is now. And so what we have right here is the power of God on display. Remember what he, when he came, he, he revealed his power, right? Can you mention some of the things or some of the ways Jesus revealed his power? Can you tell me some of the things that Jesus did that revealed his power? One, the miracle of raising people from the dead. Okay, that's showing the power. What else? Changing water into wine. What else? Feeding thousands of people with a word, right? Yeah. Cleansing the lepers. I mean, we can fill in the blank. Opening the eyes of the blind. The ears were able to hear, right? The lame walked. The deaf heard. The blind saw. Because this is what John wanted to know when John the baptizer, remember? When he was taken to prison, okay? He's in prison. He thought, this cousin of his should be the one. Are you the one? And what did Jesus say? Go tell John what you see and what do we see. Only God reveals his power. Now, during his earthly time, He demonstrated that power by these activities, right? One other thing that he devised uh, physics. Uh, yes, please. Uh, that he defy, uh, defies physics. First, he walks on water. Okay? Come on. Have you ever tried to walk on water? I tried it in the Sea of Galilee and I went straight down. I thought maybe because I'm from Nazareth, I could do that. But it didn't work. I went straight down. I tried. And think of the other one where he defies physics. He enters a room. It's all closed. Right? How does that happen? It's not magic. Thank you. It's not magic. It's reality. Right? So in that, Jesus came... And revealed his power at a specific time for a specific reason. Only for a short time. And the greatest revelation that was revealed to us was when? Think of that. When was the greatest revelation of who he really is? Transfiguration, March, the, uh, February 23rd, we will be celebrating the Transfiguration, right? He came and all of his glory, all of his majesty was revealed. And what do we find the apostles doing? Falling to the ground, right? And then we hear the voice from God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
when you put all of these dots together, you see how it is exciting for us to delve into the word because it speaks of hope. It speaks of help and it points us to heaven. And so as you look at these things, the beauty of the scripture that ties all of these things together, and then uh, these people, all of the people who are in heaven, began to say. Notice how they say it. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to finish the song, but this is what we call part of the Tedeum. Tedeum is giving thanks, right? So, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. When we say that God is Almighty, what do we mean by that? When we say God is Almighty, what do we mean by that? Nothing is better. Uh, more than that. You said nothing is better. More than that. Almighty. All powerful. There is nothing that he cannot do. And the greatest act that he has ever done is giving his life for us. And he raised it from the dead. I try to raise myself from sleep. Sometimes I have a heck of a time just getting out of bed. But he did it out of the tomb. Right? And so, and then they emphasize who was. Past tense, right? Who was and who is. Present tense. So you got the past, you got the present, and of course we have the future. And now look at these words at the end of 16. For you have taken your great power and what? What has happened right now? He has begun his reign. His reign. <clears throat> When he came to earth, he came riding on a donkey. Remember? When he came in. And people began to throw uh, palm branches, olive branches, their cloaks, their blankets. <coughs> and they began to say, Hosanna to the king of Israel. And the Jewish leaders went berserk. Stop them. Stop them. He said, if I stop them, the stones will begin to cry out. There's only one king. There's only one kingdom. And it is the kingdom of God. And now his reign has begun. And with this reign, there is no calamities. There is no confusion. There is nothing that will take the joy of our lives away. Look at uh, verse 18. <clears throat> The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyer of the earth. What a wonderful description. Because in that verse, each and every one of you is included. Don't overlook that. Look what it says. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets 
and saints. Well, who are the saints? We are. You are. That is correct, Bert. You are. You too, Dwayne. That's how we live as his blood-bought saints, right? I remind you of that almost every Sunday during my sermon. I talk to you precious saints, right? We have a different description of sainthood. It's not because of what I have done, but in what Christ has done for me. Even though the nations raged, okay? But your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. So at the end of time, when he comes to reign, he will completely annihilate anybody who did not fear his name. But for us, it's a great comfort. Okay? And uh, this is reminiscent of the Psalms. If you look at Psalm 3, go to Psalm 3 for a while. Psalm 3. Uh, excuse me, uh, 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 Psalm 2. I apologize for that. Let's go to uh, Psalm 2. Notice the similarities in the words, right? Everybody there in Psalm 2. Take your time. Psalm 2. All right. Look at the similarities in the word. Why do the nation rage? Nations rage. And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hell. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. All right. So, um, what you have in Psalm 2 is, a fulf is fulfilled in Revelation 11, right? The nations raging against God. Anybody who follows the devil, which means does not follow Jesus, is raging against God. And so it's important for us to remember that uh, we have enemies and yet uh, we have the Lord God Almighty. Now, take a look at Psalm 3. I did say that, but take a look at uh, Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? My foes Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered from his holy hell. Okay? And then in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So in both of these psalms, 
we know we have enemies, don't we? Yeah. We have seen how ISIS has risen even re uh, recently to raise up against the Christian to destroy them, right? <coughs> Excuse me. And so it's constant. People think that the church is dying, right? If we look at our church in the West, sure, the numbers are declining, but the church is not dying. Guess where it is growing? Everywhere else. And when are they growing the most? Under persecution. Africa is bursting. Madagascar is bursting on the, the uh, on the seams. Ethiopia. You name it, they are growing. Even in Germany, in Europe, we have almost like 1,300 baptisms in this one church alone, former Muslims who are coming now to Jesus. So the work of the Lord is continuing. It may not be here, okay? But the gospel will never go away, and the power of God will never go away. The kingdom of God reigns forever and forever. Okay, go back again too. So, the reward is for his saints. And notice what else. Those who what? Fear his name, right? So, fearing the Lord is a reminiscent of what it says uh, in Psalm uh, 110. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So, if you want to be wise in the ways of God, you fear his name, right? Out of reverence for him. And those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Who are the destroyers of the earth? The evil. Who? The evil. Who is the evil? Well, true, but who is the destroyer of the destroyers? For destroying the destroyers of the earth. The devil and his cohorts. You remember, and we will be having that here shortly in the readings, um, before too long, in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Jesus, after his, he's baptized, he's driven out into the wilderness, and then after being hungry for 40 days and 40 nights, the accuser, right, comes to him. Worship me and I'll give you everything, right? Adam fell for that and so did Eve and so do we. But the other Adam, the new Adam, would not. And that's how he saves us. And so we have to remember these things. So they will destroy, Jesus will destroy the devil. You know, he's destroyed. We know the battle has been won. Uh, the victory has, won, has been won, but the battle continues. And then it is very important to remember that Satan has no power over us. He may persecute us. He may hurt us. He may damage us. But he will not destroy us because we have been saved by God's grace. And then the final verse. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder and earthquakes and heavy hail. Um, the one thing that I really want you to grasp out of this verse in verse 19 is the fact that when we say 
that the temple in heaven was opened. I want you to remember now we have access to God at all times. Those terms identify that we have access to God at all times. And this is reminiscent of Good Friday event. You remember what happened when Jesus died? The curtain was torn from top to bottom. Okay? Six-inch curtain was torn. <coughs> and in that tearing, the whole council that was painted over there on the curtain now is open, and now we have access to God. Right? And John chapter 14, verse 6 is what? You guys know what John chapter 14, verse 6. That's one of the verses you should remember. John 14, 6. You're pretty close. That's a few ahead of that. Just a little bit further. In my father's house, that's verse 3. I want verse 6. John 14, 6? Yes, you should have it highlighted. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And continue the footnote. No one comes. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay. And the only way you and I are going to get to heaven is through the bridge called Jesus Christ. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth that teaches us all things.